gloomy, mostly Euclidean confines of Castle Gormagon, upon the lofty wind-blasted heights of the Plateau of Lang, I am Confucius the Ecumenical Volgi, and this is Radio Gormagon. Gorty here with the Mandarin, and we're going to talk a little bit about the Olympics. And through the magic of space-time travel, Doc is joining us, and you'll hear him pipe in from time to time on certain questions. So we have a series of questions to help guide us here. We'll start off with some general topics. We'll dive into some specific ones about these past uh, 2018 Winter Olympics, and then talk about you know some country-specific stuff and maybe where we see the future of Olympics going. Mandarin, what's your favorite Olympics, the summer or the winter? I actually prefer the summer Olympics, to be quite honest. Maybe because I actually just hate the winter in general, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I find the summer games have more sports that I'm actually very you know, interested in. You know, I, the irony is, though, I think we actually wind up watching more of the winter Olympics just because my wife is into the figure skating. And you know, she'll have it on. Obviously, if we're sitting in the room together, we'll, we'll watch it. So I find it fascinating. It's it's funny how as you as you go through and, and the commentators go on and on, you start to pick up what what's actually happening and how it's scored and everything else. It seems you know very Byzantine, but after a while, it's for better or for worse. I'm starting to actually pick up you know <laughs> what some of these terms are and what some of the techniques are. It's it's fascinating. But I think the summer games, I think just because of the, the different sports that are involved, the fact that I, I wrestled in high school, I'm involved in judo, I think, you know, it, it's, a, it's a little more close to me I, in the sense that I, I can relate to the sports that are going on. I'm not an avid skier. I'm not an avid ice skater. So I, I think the summer games, just because of that, I think hold more interest for me. I like the summer games because the sports um, in the summer games are really exciting to watch. Swimming, track and field, are I'm absolutely drawn to them. Uh, I love gymnastics. Uh, so just those three sporting events alone, I'm socked in and watching. And then in the winter games, all of the sledding events are great fun to watch. And the downhill skiing events are a lot of fun to watch as well. I can't watch curling. You know, Gord loves it, but I just can't get into it. And what should the IOC, excuse me, I got to go yell at Loki J and Lady J. It's hard for me to decide because I'm a, I'm an Olympics junkie. Like when the Olympics are on the, I come home from work and the TV's on the Olympics and it pretty much stays on and I'll try to find different sports out of the different channels that cover it. But if I had to answer, I think I would pick the winter Olympics there's just some unique things during the winter that, that is just so foreign to me growing up. Now, I had the opportunity a couple of years ago to actually try curling, so I'm kind of forecasting my next answer. But So things like that, like bobsledding and luge and skeleton, and then some of the more X games like half-pipe snowboarding and things like that are just so unique. I find them intriguing. My, my wife, Mrs. Gorty, was, was a swimmer in high school. And so it, Summer Olympics come on, and we watch every single swimming event that we can. And because, I think we watch a lot of it just because, like you said, and again, we, I read this conversation last season, that once-in-a-lifetime event. And it really is. It comes around every couple of years, and it, it's very interesting. Even like the, the opening ceremonies and the closing ceremonies, 
I mean, my wife and I, we actually stop what we were doing and almost make it, it's almost event watching. It's event TV, right? You go, you sit there right. and you watch it because you're, fa- you're fascinated to see what's going on, how it's being done. And, and it's, it's, it's a spectacle, if nothing else. And it's, again, it's something that's rare. It's not an everyday thing. And I think part of it too is you get so beaten over the head by the same repetitive things over and over that even though it comes around every well, two years now because of the staggered events, you know, the summer Olympic games are staggered, that it is still unique and that because it is that once every two years uh, event, it still holds some kind of interest. And now everybody's trying to outdo each other. So every year it becomes more and more fascinating. I, I think it really is. Like I said, I think from that perspective, it still holds that Olympic spirit. The fact that everybody stops what they're doing to watch people, the best of the best to compete. I think it's, it's a good thing. It is. And you know, you talk about the opening and closing ceremonies. I, I tend not to watch a lot of the closing. I don't find a lot of interest in the closing ceremonies, but the opening ceremonies I tend to watch. Yeah, and even when it's bad, it's memorable. I remember back to when the London had the Olympics and they had their tribute to the national health system. I mean, that was beyond <laughs> bizarre. <laughs> in Vancouver with the, the First Nations thing and the controversy that that stirred up. Well, and again, I mean, the Olympics is not immune to that whole social justice. You know, it creeps in everywhere. And for better or for worse, I mean, the Olympics really are there to bring out the best of everyone, not just the athletes, but of nations. If it's, there's the truce that goes on, if there's a war, you know, it's ceasefire. Everything is supposed to be a time of at least 21 days of of peace and, and understanding and gathering. But again, it, it gets to be a little bit overdone. And again, I, I wish in some respects I had the other Olympic broadcasting channels to see just how much – of that goes on there. I mean, I know NBC, NBC and Comcast really push that as, you know, it goes on every day in the news and everything else. They have that agenda they push. I'd be curious to see how much of that goes on, whether it's, you know, the, the broadcasters from, you know, Japan, Nippon Network or, or China, I can only imagine based on how censorship <laughs> and everything else is, but it'd be, it'd be fascinating to see what their spin and what their take on it is. I found one of the most fascinating things was it's not this time, but in the summer games, last summer games, I was able to get on because, again, a lot of the events I want to see aren't on regular television, not even on Comcast or Sportsnet or whatever. So you have to go online and look at them. And I pulled up the judo events. It was fascinating because there is no commentary. The only thing you hear, it's almost like you're in a stance. So you'll hear them announce the two opponents, you know, what countries they're from, what weight class it is, and their names, and then that's it. You're basically all you hear is the the referee. And it's fascinating. It really, in some ways, is enjoyable. Now, I, I get it. I understand. I, I know the techniques. I understand what, what they're doing. If you're a novice to it, you'd probably want somebody saying, well, that's an Uchimana. That's a, you know, a Seonagi. That's this. Well, you, are you, so you understood what techniques they're doing. But it was kind of almost refreshing not to have that constant, sometimes inane banter just because they're trying to fill time. I mean, it's almost worse than a Major League Baseball in some respects. <laughs> what's your favorite sport in each? Like, what's your favorite summer sport? What's your favorite winter sport? Well, you know, it's interesting because there's my favorites and there's one I want to watch the most of. <laughs> and, and, and I think in the summertime, like I said, I, I like the wrestling. I like the, I like the judo events. Um, but I, I spend most of the time with my wife. We want to watch the gymnastics. And I, I find it fascinating, both the men's and the women's. Just, you know, it, it's the amount of dedication that goes into that and the, the skill level is fascinating. And like I said, because she watches it, you know, I want to watching it with her. And like I said, I find it enjoyable. And it's the same thing with the, with the figure skating. She watches a lot of that. Now, 
honestly, I really enjoy, like you said, the more X game types, you know, the half pipe, and those are very, you know, it's fascinating to watch because it's that element of risk. There's a danger involved. It, it's cool, you know, but there's other sports, like you said, no matter how much of a fan you may be, just a dull to watch. Now, I, I like shooting, but watching a biathlon is like watching paint dry. Yeah. I mean, it's just, oh, my God, that's excruciating. And I watched a little bit of the curling. And, it's, you know, that's funny because that's one of those sports where as you start to watch it, you kind of almost start to get into it as you're watching, you know, go through and, you know, broom the ice and everything else. And it's like, it's like okay, I can, I, I can get this. But, again, it wouldn't be something that any other time I'd go out of my way to watch. But like you said, because it's there, you, you turn around and you, you watch it. I mean, I enjoy, you know, the luge. I tell you, I don't know. I think that's crazy. And then you get the guys do the skeleton and go ahead. For it. It's like, okay, I don't know what death wish you have to have to do that, but that, that's fine. It's, it's enjoyable, I'm sure, for somebody. <laughs> Absolutely. Although what scares me is I think most of the people that watch that are the same people that watch NASCAR for the crashes. You know, they're waiting for some guy to wipe out. <laughs> right, right. And, you know, we're all roughly the same age, and we all remember the, what is it, the ABC Wild World of Sports and the, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat, and they show that one ski crash mm-hmm. that's just epic. And I, I don't think it's Herman Meyer, but but it's someone, it's a legendary skier, and he is just barreling across the slope, like tumbling. And, Arms flailing. <laughs> oh, totally out of control. And And you're right. There's some draw to the danger element of, and I think that exists more in the winter sports. Oh, absolutely. And I think, like you said, I think that's what makes it exciting because I don't think people want to see somebody get hurt, but I think people want to see them go right to the edge. Yes. Almost almost like cheat death. There's right. that, that's that thrill that goes into it because as you watch it, you can almost feel your adrenaline get, getting up as, as you're getting closer to that edge. Oh, he's going to make it. You know, you see that. And it's like, I think we live vicariously through that because people, you know, don't want to do something dangerous themselves. As you watch other people do it, I think that's I think that's the draw to it. You're absolutely right. You know, people know this on Twitter about it, and and we've discussed it before. But curling's my most favorite sport in the winter, and it goes to just how much strategy goes into it. If there's if there's anyone that doubts that, they should go back and look at the U.S. men's gold match that they had. It was, I mean, it was filled with strategy from end to end, and. So now, what's interesting about that, too, and I think what's, it's interesting when you watch some of these sports. I enjoy a sport where there's a score. Like when you watch hockey, it's, it's pretty clear you score the point. But, you know, watching enough of the ice skating with my wife and the, and the, and the gymnastics, anytime you've got to go to the judges, even like when you watch something like a fight or anything else, you've got to knock the guy out. You never want to let it go to the judge. And like I said, it's very interesting. You'll see someone, and it's like – and again, I get it. These judges have – 30, 40 years of experience in the sport. They've participated. They know what they're looking for. But you and I are watching it. It's like, okay, this guy does a triple lutz. This guy does the triple lutz. Well, that guy looks better, but somehow he's got a lower score because he's from this country. And this guy, you know, it's like, wait yeah. a minute, you know, how is that? Yeah, I, I get it, you know. So that's I, that's always frustrating because it's like, are they getting robbed or are you missing something? Because maybe you didn't notice they came down on the edge of the blade of their skate or something. But, you know, it's not like a, a – they're keeping score where you you know you get that puck in the net or like you said you get that curling stone right in the correct position you knock the other guy out and you, you know I, I get it you know it's just yeah. frustrating sometimes <laughs> it is and and that kind of dovetails into on the summer side 
again, like I said, we watch a lot of the swimming and diving events. And I've actually gotten really into it largely because my wife has educated me more on all the elements of it, of what kind of turns you're allowed to do and what kind of kicks you have to do. And she's like, you got to watch when they breathe. You know, to your point about the scoring, and then you flip over and you watch the diving. And some of the acrobatics that they do in the air are just phenomenal. It kind of goes to your point about gymnastics. And you're watching it, and, and it's just phenomenal body control and planning that goes into those. But then it comes down to a score, right? It comes down to a judge's score. I'm like, well, okay, it, that guy made a little more splash than, than the other one. But they got a higher score, and then there's the difficulty, and it's hard to translate to a novice who doesn't know the sport. Exactly. And I think sometimes, like you said, it gets lost. You think yourself is your favoritism. And like you said, I think if you're more immersed into it, you'd realize. You know, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that Peter has this theory that essentially if it's not goals scored or a time beat, you know, some very quantitative measure for success, his, I think the way he puts it very succinctly is if there's a judge involved, it's not a sport. And I was saying that to someone and they, they challenged back. It was the first time I heard a decent pushback on it. And they go, well, what about referees in hockey or football or baseball umpires? They're making judgment calls that affect, that affect the outcome of the game. So is, are those sports now? Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I mean, it, there is always going to be that human element involved. I mean, I watched even like, you know, my sons in marching band. They go to these competitions and they go, you know, Grand Nationals, like you're there with a hundred other best bands in the country, and like I said, there's judges there. It's it's interesting when you watch because I think you've seen your chi- your children perform all all season. You've watched every practice. You know exactly like well, he didn't put his foot where he's supposed to be. He's off on his mark. He's there and that, and he sees other teams. Oh my God, those guys are fantastic. But you got we want to beat those people. Yeah, that's like well, okay, because you're so focused on your flaws because you you know what it's, it's supposed to be perfect and how it's supposed to be. I'm sure the parents of the other kids are they're saying the same thing about their bands. Like, oh my God, they blew it. He was off his mark. He tripped. It. But again, there's there's judges there, and you, you wonder. We had a competition where state championships, and in our class, we won crowd favorite, best music, best you know performance. The other band won best general effect, and they beat us by like a tenth of a point. And everybody's looking at each other like, you got to be kidding me, right? <laughs> you know. Right. But again, it, it it goes to the judges, and you know, I told my son, I said. He goes, ah, that's kind of stinks. I said, yo, but I'll tell you what, you, you want to win next time? He says, yeah. I says, you guys have to be the best. And he goes, that, it, it kind of drives you. You can't hope to God you're going to make it. You got to go out there and give it your 100% performance. And again, I think all these Olympians do. And I tell you, it's, I think the most fascinating thing is you watch, especially when we watch this, the Winter Olympics this time, with, with the men's figure skating especially. You know, one of the one kid I can't remember his name. I, I apologize, but he was they they hyped him up. He was going to be the first guy to do like four quadruple whatever Lutzes or whatever it was going to be in the Olympics. Yep. Yep. And the pressure got to be cracked, and he he fell apart. You're looking at that, and it's like, I I get it, and that's the whole idea of the Olympics. You can be the best, but it doesn't matter when you go out there. If you screw up that day, you're out. You know, I it's it's a life lesson. I think people don't realize it. You're not always going to be the winner. And if you want to win, you got to, you got to come up to the plate, no matter how much people hype you, no matter how much people say you're the best. And I, I think it, it's a lesson. I think a lot of these kids can learn today that, you know, nobody gets a participation trophy. Here's a guy that unfortunately he trained his whole life for this. This was his moment and he 
he choked. And I don't mean it in a derogatory way. It just, this is what happened. He did not perform. Somebody else is better that day than him. He may be the best skater in the world, but guess what? Not that day. And that's when it counted. Right. And, and the converse is true too. I mean, you look at that Czech snowboarder who went out and won the, the downhill skiing. Uh, you know, she was, she was, 20 number 26 to go down and and usually by that area those are the people that have no shot like the first couple bib numbers they're they're kind of your top performers and they're expected to be kind of bronze silver gold contenders and then they say that next trench are the ones that could surprise someone and have a really good run and and move up to the podium this girl was 26 in that ranking and she just had a world-class run down the ski slope and and ended up i mean she was flabbergasted that she won she couldn't believe it so you get both sides right you mess Mm -hmm. up bad and you're going to mess it and if you just shine you can win sometimes the stars align right that's in your favor i think that's what i think the lesson people need to walk away with and it's it's interesting that when you watch a lot of these athletes i mean they're they're heartbroken i i get it i mean Trust me, if I spent my entire life training for that one event and you went out there and didn't do your best, didn't win, I'd be, I'd be upset and I'd be devastated too. It was interesting that a Canadian um, hockey player, and she took her medal off. Well, she immediately came back on. She said, I really regret it. It was, a bad, it was bad sportsmanship. It was the heat of the moment. I realized it was a stupid thing to have done. And right. I think you know, that's, you know, nobody wants to hear this. Sometimes you learn more from losing than you do from winning. We teach, we teach the kids, you know, like, even at judo, you know, you'll, you'll be out there. Kids always want to win. They want to win. They want to win. And then they get thrown. They're like, oh, how do you throw them? And they get all upset. I said, listen. I said, you got to learn how to win. You also got to learn how to lose. Because yeah. trust me, you may be the best right now, but you guys both know the same two techniques. But eventually he's going to learn a third or fourth, and you're not, and he's going to take in plants right in the mat. And then you're going to be like, oh, what happened? Yeah. You've know, you got to pick yourself up, back up, and go. And yeah. I think that's a – of anything from the Olympics, I think that's a great message. Not so much that everybody's a winner, but you know what? We go out there, we do our best. And you know, we train for this. And win or lose, we were, we can at least say that we were Olympians. And I think that's something that, again, I I hate the participation trophy aspect of a lot of sports for our kids now where everybody goes out, kicks the ball, and gets a trophy. This is a little different because to get to this level, you've had to really be the best to get to, you know in your country, to represent your country. And I think that's the important story here that if you work hard, yeah, you might not come out on top, but you can say that, hey, look, I was that part of that elite, that tenth of a percent that was able to actually compete on this level. Right. You know, and I think that's something that I think is lost in a lot of kids because I think a lot of kids think that they should just automatically be awarded something or have the opportunity to participate, and you don't. You know, and I think that's – it's great to see that there's still something out there that, that aspires to that goal. Absolutely. So maybe to wrap up the general section, what do you think – like do you have an opinion of what the IOC could do to improve the Olympics going forward? Well, the first thing they could do is get out of the corruption business and basically just let countries make bids and go with the best ones. I don't have a lot to say about the politics of the IOC because it's a bunch of rich neo-aristocrats trying to make themselves richer – off the largesse of countries who want to be relevant in the world. Well, I mean, <laughs> that's a loaded question in some respects. You know, obviously, I think they've taken great steps in the whole doping, you know, getting that out of sport. And it was interesting that even to watch, like, the 
the Russian athletes they had to compete under basically the Olympic banner because of the doping scandal. You know, I, I think it's important because, like you said, I you want them to the, to show that this is really the best, not the augmented, but the, the best. These guys go out there, and I understand there's uh, it's a high level of training, but to keep that you know, to keep the sport clean and keep it you know above boards. Um, I think the IOC, in some respects, as far as with the selection of the, the cities go, and I'm sure it's it's just as corrupt as the UN and every, every other thing out there. There's always going to be that element of that when it, you know that's involved. But I mean, I don't know what really the IOC could do to keep the Olympics moving forward. It's interesting that what was they were talked about a little bit on the, the coverage was that for some of these, especially the Winter Olympics, where they're going into some of these countries that don't have a winter sport, you know, culture, obviously tropical countries, whatever, that they're going in, they're taking these kids out and taking them to countries that do have these programs to get these kids indoctrinated, to teach them these sports, to have more of a participation factor. And I think that's, I think that's, that's, that's a great, that's a great effort. It's interesting, especially too, because, you know, we were joking about square watch jumping ceremonies. You know, you watch the summer games and there's, you know, 300 countries, you know, or 200 countries participating. And here you've got like 35, 40 countries. Cause again, there's not that big pool. And I could see where, again, for the IOC to be relevant, to keep the, keep the participation up and the interest up to go out beyond expand their markets. It's no different than the NFL going to England, right? I mean, you've got to eventually expand the pool of viewers and participants. I think that's a great effort on their part. Yeah. Agreed. Um, it was kind of the one thread I was going to pull on the positive side was the fact that they're, they're leveraging across country lines to, to extend that knowledge, that learning and exposing, you know, having Jamaican bobsled teams and these other countries that, um, you know, some of the Middle East countries, which would never have a chance essentially of, of competing in a winter Olympics. They don't have the infrastructure, let alone the weather uh, to really make it viable. Yeah. Um, that's impressive. Um, I think I was impressed that the IOC held firm with the Russians, you know, throughout the whole thing. You know, I know towards the end they were debating whether they were going to let them march out in the closing ceremonies under the Russian flag. And I'm glad they held their, held their stand on that. I kind of wish that they would be, that, that they would be a little less susceptible to corruption. But like you said, you get an organization this size where you get countries and cities bidding, it's going to be fraught with, you know, bribery and, and other things to try to bring those, even though the, you know, the city generally doesn't benefit from hosting the Olympics. It's usually a, uh, a detriment financially for the city. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one other positive thing that I, I just want to touch on, which I found, again, we're, I think you and I are both old enough. We lived through the Cold War. And, you know, the Olympics were really that kind of almost that proxy war in some respects. Yes. It was, it was us against the Eastern Bloc. And now it was so fascinating that when they were talking about, you know, they, they profile the athletes. And you'd see, the, you know, the athlete from this country – Here's his coach. He's an American, and it, he's coaching the American team. These guys are all trained together. They're all they're all going. It, it's so it's so fascinating. Where before that would be, oh my God, we can't put these people in. We're gonna keep our own training, you know, separate, and you know, it's, it's a secret. Our methods are this and that. Now it's such an open society. I guess you want to say that you know they can train in, in any country they want to train in. They're they're they've got dual citizenship. It's interesting how many. You know, U.S. citizens because they have dual citizenship are performing for Italy or or Japan. They go back and forth now. I think that's really fascinating how it's changed. And like, like I said, I I think that's, you know, 
I think that's the true spirit of the Olympics, the fact that it, it is that competition, but you can compete and still train together. You know, again, you make each other better in, that, in some respects that way. And like yep. I said, it's nice to see that, again, like I said, living through the Cold War like we did, we saw it all the time. This is really, it was a proxy for, you know, storming across the you know, <laughs> East German frontier, I guess, right? Right, right. But, you know, not to be flippant, but I mean, I think a lot of people treated it that way. And now I think we see it more as that kind of open arms, I hate to say that one world, you know, kumbaya order, but I think you see a lot more of that, just the whole idea that it really is sport uniting, uniting people together. It is. must be best. Yeah. So maybe to talk about, you know, these past Olympics specifically. So I'll offer up, I, I watched a lot. I watched a lot of it. It was pretty much on every night when I got home from work. I actually streamed some of the events that I wanted to watch during the day at work on a separate monitor so that I could sit there and do work while, while it was up. I watched a number of the curling matches uh, that way and, and some of the hockey. Did you end up watching most of it, much of it? I didn't watch as much of it as I would have liked, mostly because we had basketball and more basketball going on this winter. So it got in the way of a lot of my watching. I recorded about 200 hours of it on my DVR, probably watched about 20 or 30 hours of it overall over the course of the two weeks. I did catch the opening and closing ceremonies, both of which I thought they did a wonderful job. Um, And I caught some of the sledding and... Uh, the uh, U.S. women's hockey game. That was quite exciting. Um, a good amount of the downhill skiing. Mrs. Dr. J loves, loves, loves the ski jumping, so we watched the ski jumping. And the little med student loves the snowboarding and all of the acrobatic skiing and, and snowboarding events. So I watched that with him. The little resident didn't watch too much of the Olympics, but... She caught bits and pieces here or there when she had free time between her studies. Yeah, I would say we watch pretty much. I mean, there's really, I mean, there's two reasons for that. One, like you said, it, it's fascinating because it's a it's a biannual, you know, biyearly thing, or a couple every couple of years, every two years. But second, there's really nothing else to watch because up here the network pretty much shuts down, right? Because they know that most people are going to watch the Olympics. But yeah, again, it was interesting to see how bad the ratings were though for it. You know, that's where everybody kept talking about how NBC took a bath. And I don't, I'm not, I don't take any joy in the fact that NBC you know, lost money on the event. I'd actually wish more people would have watched it. I think somehow we could become so self, self-absorbed in things. It's good to see somebody else going out there and you know, competing. I, I think it would have been a good, good thing for people to watch. I, I get it. Not everybody's going to be a curling fan, no offense. And not everybody's going to be interested in figure skating. And I think part of it, too, is, you know, unless you have – the Xfinity, you know, total package where you're getting, you know, MSNBC, you're getting, you know, all these other networks, USA and ES, you know, I don't even know if some of was on USA. I don't think they did this time. I know the summer ones because there's so many events they do, but it's hard, like you said, to watch. Now everybody's going to be able to have the opportunity to stream it. And I think that's part of it too, is even if you wanted to watch something, it might not have been on. It was difficult. And I will tell you this. I mean, at one point I thought my wife was going to throw something through the TV because we were watching MSN's, or MSN Sport, MSNBC, whatever that is. Lord, I can't get it out. NBC Sportsnet. And they were showing the figure skating. 
And then they cut away to another event, not telling anybody that, oh, by the way, the rest of the event's going on in Fi, a channel, you know, NBC, if you wanted to watch it. And she, re- she finally realized and went back to the other station. She had missed the scare she wanted to see, and she was pissed. Ooh. Ooh. You know, and I said, you know, I thought to myself, that was a bit, because they didn't announce that they were going to do that. It was a bad, I think, yep. a bad call on their part. And, you know, who knows if they maliciously did it or not. I doubt they did, but. You would think that, you know, you'd say, hey, you know what, by the way, if you want to continue watching figure skating, we're going over the primetime segment on, on Channel 5 now. You would announce that, but they, they didn't. And it was just, it was fascinating. Like I said, I think that, that kind of turned people off. And I think, like I said, a lot of times, it, the way it bounces around the coverage, you know, from event to event. And two, I, unfortunately, because of the time change, a lot of times you knew what the, what the results were because you know, they were, they were almost a day ahead of us. So you kind of knew, so it wasn't much excitement. You could just look at like, oh, okay, we won the gold medal. Okay, whatever. And you're, you're going to go on with your life. There's no drama there to figure out, is it, you know, who's going to win because it's in your time zone. We'll get right back to the next episode. But first, a word from one of our sponsors. Hello, children. Hello. It's your lovable and inscrutable Mandarin here today for the Northwood Sushi Bar. Obey Northwood Sushi Bar has the best in local sashimi, from bluegill to muskie to perch and pumpkin seed. In lieu of pickled ginger, enjoy an old-world spread of cottage cheese and beets. Try the elegant hand rolls of vinegar-soaked crappie served with a head of lettuce and a tomato wedge. Or have Chef Kev whip you up a one-of-a-kind treat. Obey me. Just like he does for your Mandarin, such favorites as the Udagarami roll, Hadaka Jimmy, served three ways, and that old family favorite, the boot to the gut. As always, obey me and enjoy the Northwood Sushi Bar. Now, let's get back to the program. I kind of put the question on here, the best and worst, and and that's kind of very broad, so feel free to take it in the direction you will. I'll put it out there that I think the best was seeing some of the some of the overwhelming success stories that came out of it. Like seeing Sean White just nail that nail that event and, and bring home a gold after his history there was just amazing. And the other one was just the utter collapse of Canada in hockey and curling was was just mind blowing that it was I don't know it just felt like such a letdown from from a Canadian perspective right <laughs> I of course I of course enjoyed it you know having the US be the beneficiaries of it but so I think that was the best the worst I think I have to peg there's a a woman snowboarder who made it and I saw this clip somebody posted it at work I did not see the event uh, watching NBC she's She's American, and then she realized that American snowboarder team is really good, and she would never qualify for it. So she tracked back through one parent and ended up, I want to say, on the Austrian team and failed to qualify for them. So then she tracked back through a different parent and ended up going, uh, I can't remember which country it was, uh, but qualifying and going under this other country. She basically just kind of rode her snowboard back and forth on the pipe. She got no air. She would just kind of go up and loop around and go back and loop around and go all the way down. And it's, you kind of sit there going, well, why is she even here? 
I mean, there's no way she's got to be dead last. She she like scoring no points essentially. But then you think about it for a little bit, and you come back to that point of she really did though persevere and put through a lot of effort to try to qualify to become an Olympian, regardless of whether she's winning or not. She made it there, so it's more than I've ever done as far as the Olympics. Yeah, I, you know, I think for, as far as, as I, I'm concerned, I think the best part of it really was that opening ceremony. I think it was well done. The drones were fantastic. I think the the look at Korean culture, I think it was, it was really well done. It was very insightful. It was, it was an entertaining show. I think the worst part of the Olympics for me was the politicization of it. And specifically, the uh, I, I want to say he was a figure skater or the, or the, or the skier, he, he openly gay athlete who refused to shake Mike Pence's hand. You know, it was basically everything is, uh, you know, and that, and that was the big story about how he was standing up to Mike Pence, you know, because Mike Pence is, you know, is homophobic, bigot, and everything else. And it's like, first of all, I, I, you, you, that's that's the probably the farthest thing from you know the actual reality of the situation. Second of all, you know, you're there to represent your country. There comes a point where the the um, again, I, I don't remember if he's a figure skater or if he was a skier, but he openly gay athlete very hostile to Mike Pence. And, and again, you know, everyone is entitled to their opinion. Everyone's entitled to, to speak their mind. But there comes a point where I think that was the wrong platform for that. You know, you're there to represent the United States. You're not there to represent, you know, whatever pet project you have or whatever bias you have against, you know, this administration or what have you. You're there as a representative of the, of the United States. You know, in some respects, I almost look at you know, and again, maybe because we grew, again, we grew up in that Cold War era, where I look at these athletes, not so much as athletes, but almost as, as fighting for the United States, almost almost in a military sense. And I, I, th- I just thought it was very distasteful. Mike Pence did nothing to that, that young man. He, there was nothing that he ever said. He didn't disparage that, 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 the kid or young man. And I just thought it was very distasteful. I thought it was immature in some respects. You know, I, then when he brought it up, nobody said he couldn't compete because he was gay or what have you. And Mike Pence was there to support these guys, gay, straight, or, or whatever. And I think, like I said, I thought that was really distasteful. And the way that NBC jumped on it and almost promoted it, again, I, I get it. Anything to make the administration look bad. I just thought that was a low point of the Olympics and something that really had no place there. Yeah, I agree. And that he was a, a ice skater. It was a, yeah. Yeah, I was I was checking while you were talking. The uh, Olympian that I was referring to is Elizabeth Swanee, and she ended up competing for Hungary in the freestyle halfpipe. So there you go. You want to go look it up? Yeah. So maybe to wrap up here, what's your opinion about professional athletes playing in the Olympics? You know, we've the U.S. has gone through bouts of this, right, in both basketball and now in hockey. You know, kind of what's your take on, on should there be a policy? Do you think it's a good thing that they participate? Uh, should we do it one way or the other, regardless what other countries do? I think the Olympics is about sending your best. Um, unfortunately, um, from a seasonal standpoint, the winter games are right in the middle of the hockey season. And while they did send their pros a few times, I think the NHL got sick of interrupting its season to send pros to the Olympics which is a shame because I thought it was really, really good hockey. And the hockey has not been as exciting since, for the, on the men's side anyway. But, I mean, I think we should send our professional athletes. I think if seasons need to go on hold, they should go on hold. 
And I think, you know, the best of the best should go. And I think mostly my opinion is formed around the dream team. You know, after our college kids lost a few heartbreakers in 1976 and 1988, I was in Spain in 1989, and my host was a young man who loved NBA basketball. And he especially loved the Europeans that went over to play in the NBA. But he just loved NBA basketball. We were having dinner, and the conversation came up, you know, given that we had silvered the last two times around when we, were, when we had a chance to play the Soviets, if American basketball was slipping. And I explained to them that there was a double standard where, you know, Red Army basketball players are professionals, and the uh, American basketball players we were sending over were college kids. And if we ever sent our NBA players over, if we sent the, the Clippers over, uh, who were terrible at the time, they would clean up. But I said, but if we ever sent an all-star team over, Katie bar the door, because we would annihilate everybody. Uh, it wouldn't even be funny. It would just be just, you know, a bloodbath. And interestingly enough, three years later, we sent the Dream Team over. And the Dream Team only lost one basketball game. And that was to the college all-stars. And Dean Smith did something absolutely brilliant. Uh, what Dean Smith did was he took the NBA players and put them in completely the wrong positions. John Stockton as the center, um, David Robertson at point guard, and played them against the college all-stars. And they lost. They lost to the college all-stars. And they were shocked. And Dean Smith then sat them down and said, see, you guys can lose. And after that point on, um, they just went all out and played fierce, fierce basketball. I mean, I forget the score they beat Angola by, but it wasn't even funny. I went to the uh, semifinal match where they played Lithuania, and they blew the doors off with Lithuania. I mean, it was, it was a sight to behold, but it was just absolutely beautiful to watch these guys play together. So, and I think that's what it's about. And they were so proud to represent their country. And then the pros after that, there's been some waxing and waning on how excited they were to be playing in the Olympics. Um, I mean, I think that everyone who has the opportunity to go to the Olympics should be excited to be able to perform. And unfortunately, uh, some of these pro athletes are a little bit of prima donnas and don't really appreciate it. Case in point, the 2004 Athens team that lost, we probably shouldn't even let them back in the country. Uh, I mean, they should have been ashamed of themselves because, I mean, they did not play good basketball. They did not try. And it was really unfortunate. But, again, they were not the dream team. There was only one the dream team. And the only thing that would have made the dream team better would have been Julius Irving, who was at the game against Lithuania. And I did meet him, but he was in the audience. Well, you know, you know I, I, I look at it this way. It only really affects certain sports, right? I mean, there's no professional track runners. There's no professional, you know, losers. There's no professional, you know, uh, curlers. It's, it's really, like you said, it's basketball, it's baseball, it's it's hockey, those larger sports. And my opinion is you're looking for the best athletes, people that are, tra you know, are training and willing to put themselves out there. You know, I, I get it. I mean – a professional athlete has more resources to train because they're getting paid to do it, and these sports organizations are behind them. But again, you're looking to put the best best people out there, and I'm sure there's some, you know, I don't want to sound crass when I say this. If you're that good, you could probably make the the NBA. You know, so I, I'm I'm torn. 
you know, I, I realize there's a difference between professional athletes and amateur athletes. But at what point does that distinction become irrelevant? I get it for a reason why, you know, the NCAA doesn't want the kids getting paid the, you know, for sports. I understand it. Although in some respects they do get paid in the sense they get a free ride scholarship and whatever. But, you know, they're supposed to be doing it just because they're representing their school. They're, they're benefiting from the education. But it comes almost to the point where this is a two-pronged conversation where, you, again, do you let professional athletes – you know, participate. And what's really the difference between the professional and the amateur, except the fact that the professionals made this his career and he's getting paid for it. Whereas the amateur, after the event's done, is going to go back working at Home Depot. Yeah, you know. So do you, do you penalize someone who's made it their career and not let them compete in this event? Or do you say, look, it's not fair to the guy who is, you know, good enough to be an Olympic athlete, but can't make it into the pros? You know, but, and again, looking back at it, you know, like these amateur athletes, you know, in some respects, these schools make a fortune off these kids. You know, with the football programs and the, the basketball programs, they're making millions of dollars. And in some respects, you know, are these kids no longer students or are they employees of the university? And should they be compensated? So it's, it's a fine line where you, where you draw that. And again, there's, I, I think it only really affects those bigger sports that are those team sports, the, the, the hockey, the, the, the baseball, the, the basketballs, the – there's really not a volleyball, but you, you know what I mean. I I think that's where it gets it gets fuzzy, and hazy. Yeah, I probably come down in the same part as you, right? I'm I'm conflicted over it because I think as a country we should be putting forth our best athletes, and it shouldn't matter if they're a college athlete, if they're a professional athlete, or if they're some amateur that works at Home Depot. Um, you want to find the best athlete and put them out there. The, the rub really comes in where if you have a professional athlete and that's their career and you have them go compete for the country and they get injured, right? It damages their livelihood, mm -hmm. essentially. And so making that decision is, is tough because, you know, yeah, you want, I don't know, you, know but you want Michael Jordan out there playing basketball for us. But, but you know, it's no different than the Pro Bowl, though, or no different than an All-Star game. I, to this day, cannot understand how any, any team owner, if I've got some guy that I'm paying $45 million a year to to run a football, I'm going to put him in some basically exhibition game and have his knee blown out? Right, right. You know, so, I mean, I see your point. You go to the Olympics, you're, you're, you're Michael Jordan, and you, and you come down and you break a leg, and now you're out for the season. You know, the Bulls are going to be pissed. right. You know, but I would think it's it's no worse than like you said. He goes to the All Star game, goes up for a layup, and gets caught in that and falls and hurts himself. Yep. You know, so I, yeah, it's as like I said, it's a fine line. It's a tough call. It is. It is. And I actually thought, right? I guess the U.S. used uh, non professional hockey players this year. I don't know what the best term for them. They they weren't they weren't members of the NHL. Right. And I, and I don't know if that's because of, I think I think it's because of the timing, because it wasn't during like the All Star break for them. Right. During the middle of the season, they didn't want to give the players up. Right. So, and and even given that, I thought they put on an excellent. I thought they really shined. I give those guys a lot of credit for what they were able to accomplish, given that you you could argue right they're not at the top of the game because they're not in the NHL. Uh, you know, arguably the NHL is the top hockey league in the world. So if you're not pulling from those players, you're already handicapping yourself. 
and they're playing against other guys who there were some NHL players there from other countries. Yep. So they're playing against that level, but they themselves weren't. And I tell you, they were fast. That's the one thing that's shown through. If you watched any of the U.S. men's hockey games, oh yeah, they were fast. You, you know, and that's I think that that's the that's the point too. Is you know, in the past when it was at again. 30 years ago when you had that Soviet bloc and I, I get it. There are all, all those other countries had guys playing in the NBA or playing in the NHL, but that's changed. Like you said, how many of these basketball players are from Europe and during the summer games, they'll leave the U S and go to their other countries of origin and they're playing on their teams. So they're professional athletes. They've got that same level of training because they're playing on the same teams, you know, alongside the Americans and whatever city they're playing in here. And, you know, it, it's a little more, I always said the, the talent is spread out. It's not like because nobody. I'll be honest. I wouldn't want to see you know basically, you know the the Golden State Warriors playing you know some eighth grade basketball team. You know it'd be it'd be a wipeout. It'd be boring. You know you want to see a level of competition that at least it's close. You know that it's really a, a test of of skill as opposed to you've got like you said the NBA All Star team compared to the, the Yugoslavian. You know, <laughs> over boys or something going out there it's just not the same no. so again i i think i guess the biggest argument against the pro athletes is the fact that what the olympic ideal is and that is the amateur athlete going out there and competing but like you said i mean if there, there's a fine line do the olympics really represent just the idea of of spartan competition or is it still that country against country where it's almost like proxy war you know, to prove who's really the best. And then again, again, we're not going to put out a pickup truck with a, with a machine gun on the back and we go to war. We're going to put out an Abrams tank, right? <laughs> so you want the best hardware on the field, a battle. You want the same thing here. You want the best athletes you, you can possibly put out there. I think at the, in the, at the end of the day, a professional athlete, if he wanted to compete, is really going to have to, like I said, do that cost-benefit analysis. That What does he get out of it? You know, I've got a $45 million contract. I really want for the opportunity to say, oh, I was in Olympics and I got a gold medal and blow my knee out and never be able to play again. And who knows what's in their contract, you know, as far as, you know, extracurricular activities. You know, if you get hurt doing something outside of, of you know, training camp or a game, you know, do we cut you off? I, again, I think that's going to that's gonna be a driving factor. In it too. Absolutely. Well, that was good. I enjoyed the conversation. I did too. And I'll yeah. enjoy the Olympics in two more years when I come back after summer. That's, that's right, in Tokyo. In Tokyo. So we'll deal with a little, maybe a little less, eh, probably the same time change. Oh, it's, it's, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty close. Yeah. Tokyo and then Beijing. And then I believe it's uh, L.A. Yep, I go back to L.A. Yeah. See, now LA's got the infrastructure. They built it and they kept it up because they used it for other events. So I think, again, if you built something where you knew you were going to continually use it, you can just keep going back to that venue. And all right, well, hey, I enjoyed the conversation. I'm, yep. I'll, I'll look forward to how you edit this. <laughs> <laughs> Always fun. Worse than Major League Baseball.